Before we start today's show, I wanted to mention our sponsor, Yahoo Sports. Yahoo Sports has been a leader in fantasy sports for nearly two decades, and it's great to see that they recently introduced Fair Play for Daily Fantasy. Yahoo is helping to level the playing field for sports fans with strict contest entry limits and veteran labels for highly experienced players so you know who you're playing against. Yahoo Sports is offering our listeners a special offer. Go to the Yahoo Fantasy app or visit yahoo.com slash daily fantasy and use the promo code ringer, R-I-N-G-E-R, with your next deposit to receive a one-time $50 deposit bonus that is earned over time as you play. Plus, first-time depositors will receive a $10 credit to enter contests. So remember, that's promo code ringer on Yahoo Sports Daily Fantasy. Also wanted to mention the ringer.com is now live. We've got tons of great content up, including former Obama speechwriter John Favreau on the next dominoes to fall in the 2016 election, associate editor Danny Chow on how Steph Curry and the NBA's shooting revolution has trickled down to the high school level, tech editor Molly McHugh on Kim Kardashian's Kimoji app and the celebrity emoji trend and much more. Go now. Yes, now to the ringer.com. Welcome to the Ringer MLB podcast. I'm Ringer staff writer Michael Bauman. Today we'll be talking about the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I have a story up today called The Process You Can Trust about the six year long process that's led from the Phillies going from really terrible to sort of mediocre. And here to talk about that team is a uh, writer for Yahoo Sports, Big League Stew, and the, uh, the editor of the Phillies blog, The Good Fight, Liz Rocher. Elizabeth. Michael. So since I started writing uh, that story, uh, the Phillies have gone two and nine. And how are Phillies fans in general sort of dealing with that that hot start? And like, I think there was always a perception it was going to regress and then it did all at once. So how is that playing uh, as far as you can see? Well, after the last couple of years, I think everyone is sort of like kind of waiting for it to happen. You know, whether it was going to happen slowly or quickly didn't really matter. We were all just sort of holding our breath, realizing that the house of cards could tumble at any moment because uh, none of this was real. When you win that many games on luck, it's uh, it's tough to uh, to maintain such a pace. And the follow-up question, I noticed that, uh, you know, it's hard not to notice that this this slide has sort of coincided with the departure of uh... – of fan favorite Darren Ruff. And my question to you is how, how many games would the Phillies have to lose in order for you to be okay with the Phillies calling Ruff back up? Oh, I can't imagine a number of games that would make me want to have Darren Ruff back. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy and he's not, I mean, he's certainly a better baseball player than me, but I, I've seen enough out of Tommy Joseph uh, that I, I don't think I really want I, I don't want to see Ruff again. I'd rather give Tommy Joseph a chance to sink or swim for as long as he needs in order to not just to keep Darren Ruff away. But so, you know, Tommy Joseph has a real chance. This isn't really about Darren Ruff. It's about Tommy Joseph getting a chance, not about my irrational hatred for Phyllis' perpetual 30-year-old rookie. Yeah, I think that, like, that's the big thing. That's the difference between this year and the last couple of years is um, I think – uh, you know, I'm sure many people have said this. I know Jonah Carey said it. The, the Phillies were 
were uh, had the potential to become fun bad this year. You know, it's not just guys like Darren Ruff who are like quad A players, um, you know, up and down the lineup. There's a, a few guys who are actually you can see them becoming um, part of the the next good Phillies team. So my question to you, like, is this fill in the blank? I feel better about the Phillies now than I have since when? I guess it depends on what kind. I mean, I'm going to parse the question, of course, because if I'm talking about you know general feeling about the future, you know, just general feeling good, yeah, it's probably about 2011. But if I'm thinking about generally feeling good about the future, I haven't felt this good since like 2010, because in 2010 I could see the future. I could see 2011 ahead of me. There were all these great players. No one had started progressing super hard yet. Um, but that's sort of how I feel now in a different way. I see the future of, you know, the Phillies and, you know, in the next couple of years, we're actually going to get to watch the team continue to get better because they, the last what, month or so they've had a, or maybe even since the beginning of the season, they've had a taste of what being good uh, feels like, which is not something they had a lot last year, uh, almost at all. So, you know, they taste it. They want to get back there. Uh, and it's very, it's infectious because uh, this is a team I finally enjoy watching again after gutting my way through like 150 some odd games I watched last year. I have, uh, <laughs> I feel like I've made it to the other side of where they're at. They're actually watchable again. So how much of that is like, I, I keep fl- uh, flashing back to rock bottom last year being the the game in Baltimore where, where Jeff Frank core pitched and Chase Utley uh, yelled it um, at Bob McClure on the mound after Frank core got, got stuck out there and threw like 50 pitches or whatever. And like, that was like, it, it just felt sad and now it doesn't. And how, and I guess what I'm asking you is how, how much of that is the atmosphere's changed and how much of that is the players are more fun to watch now and how much do those two factors interact? The players aren't significantly different. I mean, if you look at the very beginning of the season, um, you know, last year, you know, everything sort of changes, but by and large, it's the same players. You know, they got rid of, you know, Ben Revere is gone, Jonathan Papelbon's gone, Sutley and Cole Hamels. But when you look at the, sort of the players on the field that you see a lot, it's, you know, they haven't changed too much. Uh, and so I don't necessarily think it's the players, you know, aside from, you know, like I said, they, they know what winning feels like now. Uh, and so they really want to replicate that. I, I think a lot of it is the atmosphere. They are not going out there every night feeling like, well, it's just another game for us to lose. They feel like they have a chance to win. I mean, I, no one really knows what definitive effect a manager has on a team, but the difference between the Ryan Sandberg Phillies and the Pete Buchanan Phillies are night and day. If I had to give credit to anything other than their you know, actual talent, I'd say Pete McCannon has gone a long way toward making this team feel like they have a future and they're not just going out there to buy time until, you know, J.C. Crawford and, Nick Williams and everyone else gets there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that just keeps coming up. And, and I actually didn't talk about it, I don't think at all in, in my story, uh, is the influence of, of McCann. And so what is it about him that has changed the atmosphere around the team? Some of it, I think, is just the sheer difference between Ryan Sandberg and Pete McCannon. Um, they are definitely different personalities. 
But, you know, Ryan Sandberg was a player who uh, was a player past he demanded respect rather than feeling that he needed to earn it. He was, um, you know, a coach for a while. Um, but, you know, he managed Triple A um, and then came to the majors. And then once um, Charlie Manuel was fired slash quit, uh, no one still really knows. Um, you know, he was installed as the interim and then the, you know, the official manager. Um, Pete McCannon has spent a lot of his career as, you know, as the coach of, you know, one thing or another in the majors. And I always got the impression that the coach really had to get closer to the players, you know, the first base coach, the bench coach. They had to get closer to the players and really talk to them. And I think that's the difference, at least in my mind, that I'm seeing. He talks about his players in a different way than Ryan Sandberg did. He talks about them in the way that, yes, I've actually spoken to these players and they've talked to me willingly and we had a, a real human conversation. Uh, rather than whatever stilted ridiculousness that Ryan Sandberg would say to the media. The difficulty relating to players is something you hear a lot with uh, great players who become managers or coaches across all sports. Like you you hear with like Isaiah Thomas or uh, or Wayne Gretzky or Ted Williams when he, you know, Ted Williams was a, a legendarily bad manager. And yeah, you know, like just having having been in the the trenches with these guys and like or like a great player will look at, uh, a player who's struggling and being like, you know, why can't you just be better? And that's like as far as they can think. And I think that's that's a big thing with McCann. And just, you know, not only, you know, he was a bench coach, he was a, a scout for a long time. And when he played in the big leagues, you know, he was a guy who struggled a lot. So, you know, that probably helps him identify. But yeah. Story I read, I don't remember if it was the beginning of this year or sometime last year. I think it was over spring training uh, about McCannon he knows some Spanish. He, he's reluctant to talk about it or speak it, I think, in front of the media, but I think he understands it. Um, and that, um, I read that it made a huge impression on the players that he was, you know, they could speak in their native tongue because the Phillies have a lot of um, uh, Latino and Spanish speaking players um, right now. And it made a big difference to them that he was, a, that he could, you know, listen to them speak in their native tongue and understand. I think how some of them found out is they may have said something unflattering in Spanish and uh, he heard it and understood it, which I think is a, it's a hilarious uh, little image I have in my head of that happening. It's like those little things about communication that some like a guy like Ryan Sandberg being a legendary player and then going into being a manager, he may not think he needs, but I mean, it's like any other office. I've had an office job. You've had an office job. Communication is vitally important in those types of atmospheres. And it's weird to think of a baseball clubhouse like that in that way, but that's always how I've looked at it. Um, and so those types of communication skills are, are important. And this is, this is another interesting thing about, uh, about the Phillies that even when they were winning earlier in the year, they didn't seem to be even uh, McCann and, and the players didn't seem to be under any illusions that like, this is about more than just this year. This is about assembling. It's not just about fluking into a, a playoff spot in 2016. It's about actually becoming a true talent, 90, 95 win team in 2017, 2018 and beyond. And 
there are a bunch of players and Hernandez is one of them. I think, you know, much as we love Freddie Galvis, he's probably on the chopping block a little bit. There are a lot of players on this team right now that probably won't be on the next good Phillies team. But is there one who's like, you know, apart from Franco or the starting pitchers or um, or Dubal Herrera, I guess, are the only guys who have sort of locked down their places. Is there anybody else who's jumped off and, you know, jumped off the uh, the field or the screen at you this year that you think, yeah, they found this guy, you know, in the scrap heap and he's he's going to be a contributor going forward? Uh, well, it's not David Lowe. No. Uh, who I think it's terrible. Um, from the scrap heap is a tough one. Um, the Phillies have had amazing luck with their Rule 5 picks. Adubal Herrera is one. Uh, Tyler Goodell. I mean, of course, they had first pick, you know, in December mm-hmm. of the Rule 5, having lost a billion, billion games in 2015. Um, but Tyler Goodell, they, he was not great to start the season, and he wasn't getting regular at that. And they finally started him more regularly, and he's, He's done incredibly well. Um, I don't know if that's going to last uh, or if even he has a future with the team. But while they wait for Aaron out there to uh, to get better, certainly not bad. Um, if there's one player I think that's going to be on the team for a long time, it'll be Freddie Galvis. Um, they, from what I can tell, they love him. I would think that he would have, considering he doesn't have a lot of power, he would have to hit for average, but they don't seem to care about that. His defense is... It has flashes of brilliance, and most of the time he's pretty solid. And I think they love him as a bench guy. When J.P. Crawford finally comes up and pushes him out of shortstop, they'll have to make a decision about whether or not he stays or goes. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday, I'd rather have Freddie Galvis at, um, at second base than Cesar Hernandez. So I think Freddie will be, will be a, a, a bench player, a fill-in guy on the Phillies for a very long time. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to pick again, and the – the headliner, I guess, this season has been that the Phillies had these three really good starting young starting pitchers, Velasquez, Nola, and Eikhoff, and all of them are exciting for different ways. Everybody's got their favorite. Question is, who's your favorite? If you had to pick one to build around uh, for the next five years, who would who would your guy be? So I I wrote a, a preview for the Phillies' uh, horrible series uh, at Wrigley um, last week, and I wrote about Vince Velasquez. He has flashes of brilliance, but the opposite of that is uh, moments of extreme badness. So my answer would definitely be Aaron Nola. I mean, how can you not yeah. build around a player like Aaron Nola? He was ready almost instantly for the major leagues. He's got poise and he's calm. Nothing ruffles him. Um, and he's been exceptional. He's been better than I thought he would be, and I had high expectations. And he's he's one of those guys who, like – he was definitely a product of the the Ruben Amaro, Marty Wolver uh, front office that we've been talking about. You and I have been been complaining about Ruben Amaro for you know five years now. But you look back on this, and this is really like the surprising thing that, or the pr- surprising conclusion that I arrived at is that like this team that everybody seems to love right now that shows so much promise for the future is largely the brainchild of a guy that everybody ran you know ran out of town on a rail nine months ago so have you made your peace with Ruben Amaro like have you forgiven him for for the bad times knowing that that he's contributed pretty significantly to to this team that everybody's pretty excited about right now I've made my peace I mean I made my peace pretty much the moment 
he was gone, to be honest. Um, having him still be the GM reminded me of all the bad things. And at the moment he had left, I'm, I, real, I remembered, oh, remember 2011 with those four amazing pitchers and how great that was? Remember, you know, the Roy Halladay trade? And it was easy to crap on him when he was there. But now that he's not, uh, I, I personally believe it's important to give him his due. And uh, I think that what goes hand in hand with that is realizing that what we're seeing now has very little to do with Matt Clentak and Andy McPhail. I'm looking forward to finding out more about them and what they're going to do, like in trade season, what they're going to do in the off season when they finally spend some money. But I certainly, I learned very little, if anything at all, about either of them this past off season. It's important to me that everyone remembers Matt Clentak and Andy McPhail have had minimal impact on the Phillies as we see them now. And we're not going to find out what type of executives they're going to be until they actually start doing something. I mean, I think early returns are good. You know, you have to like the Hellickson trade. You have to like the, the Giles for uh, Velasquez and, you know, and the seven dwarves trade and, uh, and, and, and picking up, you know, picking up Tyler Goodell, obviously that looks pretty good now, but I, you know, where I come down is like with the, the financial flexibility this team's going to have with the farm system that they had in place, uh, just after the, the Hamels trade, let alone picking up Velasquez, um, for, for Kenny Giles, you don't have to be, like you don't have to be Theo Epstein to make this make this team into a winner. Like you just have to be sort of an an average uh, front office executive and not be actively destructive. Which you know, knowing like you said, little as we do about uh, Clentac, you know, as a, a general manager, at least have faith that that he can be average, right? I do. I definitely do. Um... You know, I liked I liked the Hellickson trade a lot. Uh, I when Jeremy Hellickson had his one big breakout year, I accidentally picked him up in fantasy, and so I've <laughs> I've loved him ever since. Um, I've loved him ever since then because he was just a, a superstar for my team, um, and I am delighted to see him have even a decent year because um, I think where he's at now maybe is a little bit better than what he's you know, what he's actually capable of regularly. But if he can keep this up, I mean, I, I assumed that he'd be on the team for, you know, a year, one and done. I think his contract was for only a year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they could keep him around for a while as they wait for whatever pieces, you know, they need to fall into place. So let's talk about some of those pieces. Let's take J.P. Crawford off the table. Everybody knows that you know, he's, uh, depending on who you ask, you're the best prospect in, in the minors right now or close to it. You know, he's going to be. You don't want to hear me swoon about J.P. Crawford. I'm disappointed. Oh, we can do that first. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you loosen that about J.P. Crawford. No, all I have to say is I love him. I'm excited and I cannot wait. I can't wait. Uh, I was, I did, a, I did a woo in my apartment when he was promoted to AAA. I'm over the moon excited to see him play. I cannot wait. <laughs> I saw I saw on Twitter JP Crawford promoted. Uh, I think it was like a weekend or two ago, and I had been away from the uh, away from my phone all day, and I was like, "Oh my god, they're bringing up to the majors!" and And then I saw that it was just a AAA, and it was uh, when it happens for real, it's going to be absolutely awesome. Um, so I apart think it'll from- be by the end of the year. Yeah, I, I do too. If you need but, a caller, it'll be me. I think he'll, he'll be up in September. 
Yeah. So apart from him, let's take him off the board because he's, you know, he's the obvious answer. Who are you most excited to to see come up out of the the crop of you know guys they got back from the Hamels trade or other homegrown talents or or anybody else you might be excited to to watch in a Phillies uniform? I'm excited about Nick Williams. Um, I'm excited about Nick Williams a lot. Um, he's been in Triple A the whole year. Um, I saw him play. Uh, my boyfriend and I went to the the um, the Iron Pigs play in Columbus. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, like literally eight days before Crawford was promoted, which is so frustrating. Um, but Williams is an enormous dude. He is huge. Um, and the Phillies have had such a, a, a dearth of, of decent outfielders in the last couple of years. And even into that, that great run they had, I never saw their outfield as being like 100% amazing. I mean, they had Raul Ibanez out in left field for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have, they have in, in Williams and I, I think there are a few other guys, outfield guys, you know, they have the potential to have a completely homegrown outfield with, you know, Dubal Herrera and center. And that excites me greatly. Um, yeah, I like Mick Williams a lot. He's not doing badly at AAA. Um, so I, I don't know what they're going to do with him. If he does a little bit better, if he'll see any time up here in September, um, up here, up in Philadelphia in September, but um, I'm psyched. I'm psyched about him. So let's sort of bring this in for a landing with the one guy. Well, I guess him and, and Carlos Ruiz are the two last holdouts from the glory days, but it didn't seem like we'd ever get here, but this is the last year of Ryan Howard's contract. <laughs> it did not seem like we'd ever get here ever. It, it just feels so weird to say that after like when he signed, I think it was in 2010 and it didn't even start for two more years. And it's like, wow, 2017 is never going to like, there won't be people alive on earth by 2017. So who cares if you <laughs> well, know, about that. flying cars. Yeah. You know, and, and here's, you know, 2017 is right around the corner and there are no flying cars and soon there will be no uh, Ryan Howard on the Phillies. And what is the state of of Ryan Howard's reputation among Phillies fans right now? Is it sort of like, you know, we're glad to see him go. Thanks for the good times. Or, you know, how much of it is, how much of it is uh, good memories about like that 05 to 2010 or so era and how much of it is just the contract extension that it's, that he's just, you know, he's just an expiring contract at this point. I think if you asked people a year ago, the answer would be different. Um, the way I'm, I'm seeing it is that people are ready for the contract to be over. They're ready to see him go. Mostly, you know, everyone knows that he sucks at the moment. He's just not good. But I think everyone is sort of beyond the, you know, let's boo the crap out of him every time we see him. And I think they're just watching him as painful for everybody. Because when you see a player like Ryan Howard, you know what he was in his prime those few years and you see it now it's just it's like it's mentally taxing it's painful um and i think that is what everyone wants to see the end of um they don't you know the contract almost doesn't matter anymore they i was hoping he'd do decently just to have really you know a nice curtain call to his time in philadelphia um but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen he's hitting 154 I think his average has been over 200 just a handful of days this season. You know, he's, he's not very good. 
they keep playing him. Um, and I know some people in the comments of the good fight have been talking about, you know, it's got to be the contract and all that money. And I, I could not disagree more because uh, the contract doesn't matter. I think the money doesn't matter. I think at this point it's all about saving faith, not even for the organization, but for, for Ryan Howard, giving him a little bit of dignity on his way out. Um, he's got a manager that believes in him. You know, Pete McCannon has worked with Ryan Howard for a very long time. And mm. I think that, I think that is, is where, we're, where the luck is here for Ryan Howard, that he's going to give Howard as many chances as he needs. He's going to talk about cutting his playing time, but he's said that a couple of times this season, and it hasn't really happened. So I think they're going to let him play as much as they can with, you know, without looking like idiots. Um, and then slowly, maybe hopefully try and cut his time back. But I don't think they want to embarrass him. You know, they could have released him literally at any point in the past couple of years, and it would have made sense. Um, but if they hadn't done it then, they're not going to do it now. They're going to let him play out the string and then end it peacefully, which is what I think everyone wants. You know, yeah. everyone's gotten all of their boos and angry feelings out about Ryan Howard. They've booed him at the games. They've said whatever in you know the comments of whatever site they read. I think everyone's just ready for it to be over now with uh, as little embarrassment for everyone involved. How many games do you think the Phillies are going to – the Phillies are 26 and 26 right now. What is their final record going to be? I think they'll end up maybe around slightly lower than 500. I think 500 is, is shockingly optimistic for this team, but I don't think – they're absolutely not the type of – you know, they didn't – they're not the type of team they were last year um, by far. That is a wishy-washy answer, but I would say if they can get like another 10, 10 more wins than last year, I'd be happy. Okay. You know, 72 and 90. I'd be happy with that. Thanks so much for joining us, Liz. You can find her work at Yahoo's Big League Stew blog and at The Good Fight, and you can follow her on Twitter at Liz Rocher. Thanks so much. And thank all of you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.